Today, we're going to talk about Easter. Um, And here's the thing about Easter. If it was not for the very first Easter, the very first Easter 2,000 years ago, we wouldn't be here this morning. We would not be gathered together. Um, We might be alive, but we wouldn't be gathered together like this. We wouldn't be gathered together for an Easter service because there would be no Christian churches without Easter. There, there would be no Christian organizations. The cross would not be a symbol of Christian faith. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be this, this common symbol that we see all over. We wouldn't have the New Testament Bible that we have and everything that is recorded in there. We would not have really paid attention to what Jesus said 2,000 years later if it weren't for what happened in Easter. All of the things that the Bible and the, the Judeo-Christian ethic has impacted, the way it's impacted our, our culture, the entire cultural fabric of our world would be very different. Much of the world's history and politics and education and society would be very different if Easter had not happened. Something happened at Easter. You can't deny that. Something happened. Something unexpected, something profound, and something that would ultimately change the world forever. And that's the story we're going to look at here today, and that's what we're going to talk about. So open up your Bibles with me, if you've got a Bible, to Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, we've got some in the back. Um, Feel free to run back there and grab one. Um, We'll put some of the verses on the screen here for you today. But we're going to look at this Easter story here today in Luke chapter 24. Now, I know that when I tell you the Easter story, most of you have heard this story many times. Uh, Many, many times for many of you. But I really think that the best way to enjoy Easter is to have it fresh in our hearts and minds. This entire story, this what actually took place and what happened here. And and I, I realize that the story itself doesn't really need to be, you know, modernized or spiced up. This is the greatest story, the greatest event to ever take place. Now, as a pastor, you know, I'm like always trying to think of, well, how can I, how can I, you know, present this for people? How can I give this to them? What do I need to do? You don't need to do anything. That's what was my decision on this. It's the, it's the story of Easter, and it stands on its own. And so that's what we're going to study here today. And as we go through it and look at it, I really want you to, to invest your, yourself in it. Imagine what's taking place in this whole story. Sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we recognize that it's an old book, and we just kind of read through it and skim through it like we'd skim through the newspaper or a history book or some other document that you're like, yeah, whatever. But I want you to really um, invest yourself in it as we go through the story here today. But before we do that, let me pray for us one more time and just ask that God would speak to us this morning as we look at the Easter story. Father, we do thank you for this day. I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the the powerful things that took place on this day thousands of years ago. And Lord, today I pray that even as I begin to recount this story and, and go through the events that happened at Easter, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is alive and well, would impact each one of us today. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, open our souls 
to what you want to speak to each one of us here today. And I pray that even if there are people here today that uh, don't know you and don't believe in all of this, that today, Lord, you would reveal yourself to them, that they would be able to understand what the message of Easter is and, and your, they would understand your love toward them and how this all unfolded at Easter. We thank you for this beautiful day and pray that you would bless our time here. In your name, amen. After Jesus was crucified on the cross, and many of you came out to our Good Friday service that we had at the park on Friday. We had a beautiful time, beautiful view out there. And and we spent some time thinking about the cross, this instrument of death that Jesus was nailed to and, and left to die. But after he was crucified on the cross on Friday afternoon, two of those who had followed him, a man named Joseph of Arimathea and another man who was part of the synagogue uh, there, Nicodemus, came to the Roman governor Pilate and asked for Jesus' dead body. And he came, they came and they took his body and they went to bury it in Joseph's, Joseph of Arimathea, they went to bury his body in, in his tomb. Now, the tomb at this time would have been carved into a, a chunk of stone, like a, a rock face in a hillside. And so it had probably been carved out. Maybe it had been a natural cave to a certain extent, but they expanded it enough where they could lay a body because what they would do is they would, they would take a dead body there in, the, in this time period and they would allow that, that body to be in there for a few years until it would decompose. And then they would take the bones of, of, that was left and they'd put it in a box called an ossuary, a bone box. And to this day in Israel, you can go through and they have all these bone boxes of, of people that had, had lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so that's what they were going to do. They were going to put him in this tomb and, and allow the, the body to stay there. But here's the thing. For Joseph and Nicodemus and the women who were with them, they had to work quickly. Because the Sabbath, the holy day of the Jews, was going to begin at sundown on Friday. And no work was allowed to be done by the Jews during the Sabbath. So they took his body, they wrapped it as best they could quickly, they placed it in the tomb. And when that was complete, they rolled a large stone over the entrance to the tomb to seal it closed with Jesus' body safely inside. And Luke 24 also tells us that some of the women who had, had been following Jesus since the time that he was in Galilee, they watched all of this take place. Heartbroken that Jesus was dead, horrified that they had, had to watch him endure all that he endured, this painful, humiliating death on the cross, and weighed down with just their grief and their sorrow. Here they had lost their teacher, the one they had believed was the Messiah, the one that they'd seen do miraculous things that had so much kindness and love in his heart. The one who had done all these things and taught them so much was dead, and they didn't know what to do about all of that and how they were going to, to handle all of this. And so through Friday night and all day Saturday and Saturday night, They observed the Sabbath and prepared some spices and ointments for a proper burial on Sunday morning, 
All right? And that's where we pick up the story here in Luke chapter 24. All that's taken place. And then here we come to Luke 24, verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, but on the first day of the week, that's the Sunday for them, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Here's what I, the first thing I want you to remember about the very first Easter morning. No one expected this to happen. None of the people that had followed Jesus and had been with Jesus thought, oh yeah, it's going to be great. Sunday morning, we're all going to show up at the tomb and boom, he's going to be gone. There will be angels there and they'll tell us some really cool stuff. We might even see Jesus. It's going to be amazing. Because remember, he's been telling them this all this time. He said it multiple times. He said, yeah, what's going to take place is I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again. And, and even though he told them this story and, and that this is what was going to take place multiple times, no one here thought that's actually going to be true. All of the followers of Jesus, all of the disciples, the 12 that had been with him, all of those people, they thought there's not a chance. It's done. It's over. It's finished. It's through. No one expected to find what they found at the tomb. But even after talking to these angels, that's what the other gospels describe them. This describes them as a couple of men, dazzling men, whatever that meant. Um, uh, one, one gospel says that their faces were like lightning and they were wearing these, these glowing, almost glowing clothes. All right, They were angels. But even after talking to these angels and being reminded that Jesus had said these things, they were baffled. They were still like, but we don't know where his body went. The angels had just said, well, he's not dead, he's alive. So of, of course you're not gonna find his body, he's alive. And they're like, but where's his body? <laughs> where, where is he at? We don't understand. And when they came and told the apostles who had been walking with Jesus for three years, who had seen his miracles, who had heard his teaching, had believed that he was the son of God, they couldn't believe that this was possible either. Nobody believed that Jesus was going to rise from the grave. But something else happened on Easter morning, something that would convert their unbelieving hearts, something that would change them forever. The tomb was opened, but they needed more. 
And that's when we go to the next section here in Luke 24, 13 to 35. I'll just describe some of it to you. The very same day that this happened with the tomb being opened, two of his followers left Jerusalem on their way to a village called Emmaus. And what happens here was, was supernatural, but they didn't even realize it was supernatural at first. They're on their way, journeying to Emmaus, uh, about a seven-mile walk, long walk for us, pretty normal walk for them. They're, they're walking along this path, and all of a sudden, another traveler comes and walks up beside them and starts talking with them. And what they don't know at this point is it's actually Jesus. But what the scripture tells us is their eyes were, were blinded. It was a supernatural event. They, couldn't, they didn't recognize Jesus as Jesus at this point. All right? And so as they're walking along here, um, they begin to share with him, with Jesus, about how sad they are that Jesus died, not realizing that they're talking to Jesus. And they're just explaining, they're, they're saying, we thought he was the Messiah. We saw this guy do incredible things. He did miraculous things. And now he's dead and he's gone and we don't know what to do about it. We're confused, we're sad, we're brokenhearted, and, and we don't know. What, what to do next. So then Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus, begins to explain to them why the Messiah would have to die. He begins to explain to them, no, 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 you don't understand. This had to happen. This had to take place. And begins talking to them about the scriptures that had pointed to all of this. And when they arrived at the village, they all sat down to have a meal together and they invited this stranger stranger Jesus, to sit down with them. And it says here in verse 30, it, it says, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And listen, verse 31, it says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the tomb had been opened, but now their eyes were opened. They saw Jesus and so they rushed back to explain what took place. Their eyes were opened, but they still needed more. In the next section of Luke 24, verses 36 and on to 48, while they were talking about this experience, these two come back in and they're, they're discussing what they've seen and what they know and, and they're, they're, the, the women are still saying, well, we saw these angels and this happened and they're all having this conversation together. While they're all talking about this experience, Jesus himself appears to them all at once. No longer veiled or hidden in any way, Jesus, the one they recognize, the one they know, the one they've been following, appears. And he appears in the flesh. But that's more than anybody's mind could process. <laughs> they had seen him crucified. They knew he was dead. The Roman soldiers who oversaw the execution were not going to pull down a non-dead person off of a cross. They were not going to turn over a living person to the, these people who came to put him in the tomb. 
They'd seen him crucified. They knew he was dead. Many of them had watched them put his lifeless body in the tomb and close it. And that had only happened three days earlier. It's still fresh in their minds and in their memories. So when Jesus appears, they don't know what they're witnessing. Just like we wouldn't either. We'd be like, what is this? Is this a spirit? Is this a ghost? Are we all hallucinating? They're nudging the person next to them. Do you see what I see right now? That looks like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. He's talking like Jesus. He says he's Jesus. What's happening right now? (laughs) What has been going on here? How is this possible? Didn't that happen? Yes, it happened. We were there. We saw it. What is going on here? And they're afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid? You'd be afraid. You'd be questioning your own mind. Am I seeing things? Am I hearing things? What, who left the gas on on the stove? Like, what's happening in here? So Jesus calms them and says, peace to you. Peace. Calm down, everyone. Relax. And he goes on and he says, it is me. And it's really me in the flesh. Here I am. Touch me. Look at me. These are my hands. These are my feet. It's me, guys. In fact, he even eats with them. He he has some, some food with them and eats with them. And it says here in verse 44, it says, And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. They saw the open tomb. They saw him with their opened eyes. But it wasn't until he opened their minds that they could start understanding all that had happened. God had done what he said he would do. The reason they couldn't ever get a hold of it in their heads is because they're like, this doesn't happen. This is unrealistic. This is a fairy tale. This is mythological. We hear stories about this, but nobody comes back from the dead. And what you're saying, Jesus, must be allegorical or something. You must be referring to something else because you're saying, well, yes, I'm going to be crucified and then raised up. Well, what does that actually mean, Jesus? No, what he was saying is plain and simple. Me, my body, I am going to die and I am going to be raised from the dead. Now, they should have had these conversations with him earlier in the, in, in, when he was still alive, before he had been crucified, right? How is that going to happen, Jesus? And, and Jesus would have to say, well, I'm not real sure, but it's going to be something supernatural that God's going to do. But God did that very thing. He did what he said he would do. He broke the curse of sin and death that went all the way back to the Garden of Eden that we've been studying in the book of Genesis. 
And look at the last few verses here. In verse 49 to 53, here's what it says. And after he had, he had done this and told them, you're witnesses of these things. You've seen these things. You know that I'm here. Then in verse 49, he says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Easter morning started out with despair and discouragement for the followers of Jesus. But now their hearts were opened because they understood and they saw and they knew he is alive. He is risen from the dead. And at this point in the story, it's all starting to finally sink in. The doubts, the confusion, the worry, the fear, all those things are starting to settle because they're now starting to really process what's taking place. He's really alive. He's done what he said he would do. He's done the impossible. He's done the unexpected. He's done the unpredictable. He's done the unprecedented. He is alive. And joy begins to rise as that truth sinks into their souls. And now comes the greatest part of all. They realized that all the promises of God were true. Now that if he can do this, then all these other things that he has said, all through time, through the prophets, through the law, through the scriptures, all of these things are now possible. The impossible has taken place. Therefore, these other things are true. The tomb was opened. Their eyes, their minds, their hearts were opened. And now, heaven would be opened as well. Because in overcoming death, Jesus validated everything that he had said. And I think that's the thing that we hold on to here on Easter this year. We think about a couple of those key promises and key things that Jesus said. And without the resurrection, you might be like, oh, that was a nice idea. You know, Jesus said that, oh, someday I'm going to open, I'm going to make heaven for you guys. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. There will be no more sin and no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain. And you're not going to have to cry in, in sorrow and grief anymore. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. Okay, yeah, but, you know, that's just some guy talking. But now when this guy is talking and he says these things and he says, and yeah, to prove all this and just to let you know I've got power over everything, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. Ooh, now that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive party trick. <laughs> You're going to die and come back. Okay, well, when you do that, then I'll think about believing those other things. And Jesus is like, all right, sounds good. Wait until I'm resurrected and then remember the things that I said. Followers of Jesus know that if he could overcome death itself, then there is nothing that he cannot do. And I'm going to be honest with you here this morning. I try to be honest with you every morning here. <laughs> but it's true when you may have people, non-believers, maybe some of you even here today that are skeptical of these things, when people say, you Christians are kind of crazy, 
You believe that a dead guy came back to life. That's a legitimate thing to say. It's true. It's true. The most preposterous thing that Christians believe is that Jesus rose from the dead. And I agree with you. It's incredible to think that that could take place. But if it is true, then it is not a far step to say then all those other things that Jesus said he would do and he could do, he will do. Jesus told his followers that his father, you know this verse, for his father so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, my father so loves all humanity, every person who's ever lived, from the greatest among us to the least among us, to the the, the famous, to the unknown, to the most wicked people you can imagine, to the most righteous people you can imagine, My father loves all of them so much that he would send his own son to die in their place, to take the sins of the world upon himself in order, order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But Jesus also said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes through to the Father except through me. Now that's an exclusive statement that was backed by an exclusive event. The resurrection. People don't just come back from the dead, especially after being dead for three days. It doesn't happen. There is no power greater than Jesus. He is the power that is greater than death. Death could not hold him. Death no longer has the final word. He does. And that's where hope begins. At Easter, in the resurrection. And Jesus invites every one of us to a new way of life. Now and eternal life with him in heaven. And the way to Jesus, he tells us here in verse 47, the way to Jesus is repentance and faith. The tomb has been opened, but our eyes and our minds and our hearts have to be opened. Our faith is not a philosophy of life. A lot of people view it that way. They say, oh, Christians, they just have this kind of moral construct that they put together and they think that's a nice way to live and that's, that's what it is. It's not a philosophy of life. It's, it's not based on religion. It's based on resurrection. Christian faith is based on resurrection. That's why Easter is the greatest day of the year for a Christian. That's why we celebrate and we do all the things that we do to try to make Easter special because Easter is special. Because in, on Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. And because he did, could do this, we believe what he has said. I'm going to finish with one last verse from Isaiah 
the prophet that lived many, many years before Jesus, he said, and in, in looking to the future, he saw what was going to take place. In Isaiah 25, 7, it says, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He's talking about sin. And he says, And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. This is who we celebrate at Easter. Jesus, who is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray here together this morning. Oh, Father God, we thank you for sending your son. And this morning, Lord, we are grateful that you not only sent your son, Jesus, but that, Jesus, we are thankful that you are willing to go to the cross for us. And we know that not only were you willing, you looked forward to it because of what it would mean. Because it would mean that by taking away the sins of the world that we're all guilty of, in doing so, you would make a way for us to be back into relationship with God, your, your Father, our Father. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross today. And Lord, we also, we praise you. We praise you, Father, for raising him from the dead. Validating everything that we now know to be true. And God, we pray that we would be a people that live in new life. People that have been raised from our, our sins. We were dead in our sins, but now we have been raised anew. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would remind us of that truth. That you would allow us to celebrate that truth. And God, today I want to also pray for any that are here that may not know you. And maybe they're sitting here this morning and just wondering if that could be true. And I recognize the fact, I recognize the fact, Lord, that it, 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 is, it does seem too good to be true. <laughs> People don't just raise from the dead, but you did. And in your resurrection, Lord, we can find hope. Because if you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can raise us from our sins and you can give us eternal life as well. And that's where our hope sits. It sits on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, if there are those who do not believe in you and are not trusted in you, Lord, I pray that they would do what it is that you called them to do. That they would repent of their sins and that they would put their faith and trust in you. And that's an individual choice that every person has to make. Today, if you're here and, and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, but maybe today you sense that this is true. If you believe that this is true, that's the, the seed of faith. That's the beginning of faith. And if you believe that that's true, what the Bible teaches us is that all we have to then do is repent of our sins 
that's, that's wanting to do things our own way and, and, and do things on our own path and our own timeline and our own strength. And instead, that we would give all of that will over to Jesus, that he would become our savior, that he would become our God, that we would no longer worship ourselves and doing things the way we wanna do things, but instead that we would turn to him. And if you believe that this is true, that Jesus can overcome death and overcome sin and can free you from your sin, then you have faith, then repent of your sins. And what the Bible tells us is, if you have repented of your sins and you put your faith in him, that you are saved and that he wants to begin transforming your life. Not just for the future, not just for heaven, but even right now. He wants to free you from the things that hold you back. He wants to free you from sin. He wants to give you hope where you had no hope. He wants to give you courage where you have fear. He wants to heal your mind and your soul and your body and give you a new life. That's what Jesus can do for you. That's what he's done for me and done for so many in this room. And so if you want to pray that today, the prayer is simple. You don't have to talk to me about it. You talk to God about it. He's listening. He's alive. And he's ready to to receive you right now. It doesn't matter what you have done, how you have lived, who you have been in the past, he's gonna give you a new life. If you would just take the time to put your hope and your faith in him. And so I invite you to pray to him right now where you're at in your seat and ask him to forgive you for your sins and choose to follow after him and make him your Lord and make him your savior. God, I just pray that that if there are those in this room that have done that this morning, Lord, I rejoice. We rejoice as a church because this is what you're calling us to do, to go and, and declare what we've been witnesses of. And I have witnessed your transformation of my life and the lives of many of my brothers and sisters that are in this room today. And I can testify that you can do that for anyone that would come to you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do a a powerful thing in people's hearts and lives here today. And let us rejoice, Lord. Let us be people of worship. Let us praise you now as we wrap up this service. God, may you be glorified as we go through the rest of our day. May we be grateful and thankful and astounded at the remarkable things that you did in resurrecting Jesus from the grave. I pray these things in his name. Amen.